The following is a co-production of Belmont Council on Aging and the Belmont Media Center. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of the Talking News. Stories from the Belmont Citizen Herald, read by volunteers from the Beach Street Center. This week, our readers are Claire, Max, and Thomas, reporting on news and events in Belmont. And now on with the show, and I pass it off to Max. Thank you, Bob. Belmont Center reopens for two-way traffic. Will there be a repeat next summer? There are two ways to view the return of two-way traffic on Leonard Street through Belmont Center on Monday, October 27th. A return to normality for commuters after 137 days of detours and alternate routes, or an end to a new way to view and use Belmont's business and restaurant hub. According to the head of the group that advocates for Belmont Center's businesses, there is a good chance the merchants and restaurateurs will ask the town to return to the more pedestrian-friendly arrangement for next summer. With the concrete New Jersey barriers and steel gates removed just after the morning rush hour, Leonard Street returned to the two-way traffic after the town select board voted in early June to close down Belmont Center until Labor Day as a way of supporting the prominent restaurant trade during the COVID-19 pandemic, which forced them to halt indoor dining. With traffic restricted through the center, restaurants and retail stores were able to expand their operations onto the sidewalk for al fresco dining. After first voting to halt all but emergency vehicles and MBTA buses, the select board moved to limit, limit travel on Leonard Street from Alexander Avenue to Moore Street in the direction to the commuter rail tunnel after hearing from several merchants protest the elimination of all off-street parking. The restrictions were extended from Labor Day to the end of October to assist eateries as state continued to limit the number of diners and establishments. Jerry Dickhout, owner of Champions Sporting Goods and president of the Belmont Center Business Association, said the more than four months of the new traffic configuration resulted in, quote, an excellent summer, unquote, as, quote, a lot of people loved it just to get outside during the tough times. It was very successful for a majority of the merchants, said Dickout. With the recent experience under its belt, Dickout said the Business Association is eager for a return to a more pedestrian-friendly center for 2021. Hopefully we'll be able to do it next year after Belmont Town Day, which takes place in mid-June, and make this an annual thing, he said. With permission from the select board and town officials, Dickout would like to see the one-way traffic configuration for the calendar summer from June to September. Quote, it, may, it was well worthwhile, maybe we should add some music next year, make it a festival, he envisions. We heard that some of the merchants said, it's great to have it for the summer, but a little longer is maybe hurtful for some of the businesses. There were a couple of businesses that didn't like it, but the majority of the businesses did like it. Over to you, Thomas. Thank you, Max. The 2021 Boston Marathon will not be held in April by Caitlin Kelleher and Zane Razak. The 2021 Boston Marathon will not be held in April and local officials believe it is the correct call. The Boston Athletic Association announced Wednesday, October 28th, 
that the 125th Boston Marathon, traditionally held on the third Monday in April, or Patriots Day, will be postponed until at least the fall of 2021. Brendan Tedstone, a Hopkinton Select Board Chairman, grew up in town and said it was strange not to see a common full of runners on Patriots Day this year, calling it a spring rite of passage. Even so, he said he definitely thinks it's the right call. Quote, it's absolutely the right thing to do as a town, said Ted Stone. We love having the marathon start in Hopkinton, we always have, but we would never allow an event to go on if it compromised the safety of our townspeople. I appreciate the proactive approach the BAA took. The 2020 Boston Marathon was held virtually in September after being canceled in April. The marathon starts in Hopkinton and continues through Ashland, Framingham, Natick, Wellesley, Newton, and Brookline before ending in Boston. Hopkinton Police Chief Joseph Bennett said he agreed, saying it would be an enormous undertaking to try to hold the event during the threat of COVID-19. Every aspect of the proposed plan from busing to field size to locations would need to be evaluated, he said. The marathon is normally a boon for Hopkinton, said Ted Stone. Quote, we'll definitely take an economic hit. All the businesses in the center of town and everywhere in town, they put a lot of weight on marathon weekend to fill the coffers. And this will be a year too with it not going on in the spring. The small businesses are probably hit the most. If it's a matter of public safety, I will always side on the safety aspect, no question, said Ted Stone. The Boston Marathon has never been canceled outright since its first running in 1897, though there was a de facto cancellation in 1918 when the end of World War I and a global influenza pandemic prompted organizers to switch to a relay race format. The 2020 marathon was held virtually over 10 days as a virtual experience due to the coronavirus pandemic. Quote, with fewer than six months until Patriots Day and with road races prohibited until phase four of the Massachusetts reopening plan, we are unable to host the Boston Marathon this coming April, said Tom Grilk, CEO of the Athletic Association in prepared statement. Quote, by shifting our focus to a fall date, we can continue to work with stakeholders to adjust the in-person experience for runners and supporters alike. Prioritizing the safety of participants, volunteers, spectators, and community members, we continue to assess all elements of the race, including a potential reduced field size or a weekend date. The BAA has been meeting regularly with its COVID-19 Medical and Event Operations Advisory Group to determine when and how the Boston Marathon can be held again and will begin working with local city and state officials, sponsors, organizing committee members, and other stakeholders to determine if a fall 2021 date is feasible. No date in 2021 has been set the BAA plans to announce a date by the end of 2020, according to the announcement. Quote, we are optimistic that the Boston Marathon will continue its tradition of celebrating the spirit of community and athletic excellence next fall, 
we know there will be many questions and we will look to address them in the coming months ahead, Grilk said in the statement. The BAA plans to work with local city and state officials and members of its medical and event operations advisory group to establish under what conditions the next live in-person Boston Marathon can occur. Other details, such as when registration may open and the field size, pending local regulations in the event plan, will also be forthcoming. See you in the fall, said Bennett. Information regarding other 2021 BAA events, including the BAA 5K, 10K, and Half Marathon, will be announced at some point in the future. Now to you, Claire. Thank you, Tom. Could reusable bags endanger workers? By Ari Swift, Citizen Herald. Stop and Shop implemented a new policy on September 23rd requiring workers in Massachusetts to handle customers' reusable bags, despite concerns about safety from the workers' union. We are going to fight back, said Fernando Lemos, president of United Food and Commercial Workers' Union, Chapter 1449. In Massachusetts alone, nearly 2,000 retail food workers have tested positive for COVID-19. In the past, stop and shop workers have been able to decide if they feel comfortable handling customers' reusable bags, according to Lemus. With the implementation of this new policy though, workers in about 84 stores across Massachusetts will be required to do so, according to Lemus. Stop and shop is not the only organization returning to the use of reusable bags. The Watertown Plastic Bag Ordinance took effect on October 1st. The Watertown Planning and Zoning Board is transitioning back to the use of paper and reusable bags in their stores. The board is leaving the specifics up to each business, according to Mike Mina, Watertown Zoning Enforcement Officer. We'd like to work with people as much as we can, Mina said. A study from Loma Linda University School of Public Health found that reusable bags increases the risk of COVID-19 transfer for customers and workers. There definitely is potential for spreading any kind of infectious type disease, said Dr. Fady Coleman, assistant professor at BU School of Medicine. If it finds the home and deposits on a surface that allows it to continue, we could potentially see that could be a way to spread. The United Farm and Commercial Workers Union said it has been fighting for mandatory masks and hazard pay, neither of which the company has implemented. Other retail food stores like Target have required customers to wear masks when inside the store to protect customers and workers. Stop and Shop has not taken this measure. We have had several cases in some of my store which turned into fights. Some of my members got fired, all because of a physical altercation which started by saying, hey, please put on your mask, Lemus said. After months of negotiation between the UFCW and Stop and Shop, Lemus said the company revoked the 10% hazard pay that was previously discussed. Stop and Shop did not respond for comment. 
According to the Massachusetts Department of Public Health, the state has climbed about 16,000 new cases since July when negotiations ended. Things can get much worse, but things can also get much better. And I think a lot of that has to do with how we work together and have a similar goal and really think about our environment and those around us, Coleman said. As more space continues to change, their policies for customers, workers are wary of any attempt to quote, return to normal. This is not the time to be going backward, Lemus said. It could be only two people walking around with the virus and that can infect a lot of our members in those stores. According to the zoning and planning board, the plastic bag ordinance will be in place indefinitely. Now over to Max. Thank you, Claire. Meet the four women who preceded Amy Coney Barrett on the Supreme Court. In a 52 to 48 vote last Monday night, Amy Coney Barrett became the fifth woman to be confirmed to the United States Supreme Court. Coney Barrett, a 48-year-old U.S. Court of Appeals judge nominated by Donald Trump, <clears throat> fills the seat left by Ruth Bader Ginsburg, a staunch liberal and feminist icon who died September 18th. Coney will join two other women, Justices Sonia Sotomayor and Elena Kagan on the bench. The first woman confirmed to the Supreme Court, former Justice Sandra Day O'Connor retired in 2006. Earlier this year to commemorate the 100th anniversary of the ninth of ratification of the 19th Amendment, which secured the right to vote for American women, USA Today released Women of the Century, a comprehensive look at women from around the US who made an impact on their community and country over the past 100 years. Today we've replenished, now uh, we're republishing the profiles of the women who have served on the Supreme Court, breaking some of the strongest barriers as they ascended to the highest court in the land. First woman named to the US Supreme Court, 1930 onward. Sandra Day O'Connor gained international recognition as the first woman to serve as a US Supreme Court justice. Appointed by Republican President Ronald Reagan in 1981, she held a seat on the nation's highest court for nearly 25 years. The court grew more conservative during her tenure and O'Connor frequently became the key vote that determined important cases. O'Connor was born in El Paso, but she is Arizonan through and through. Raised on the dusty, isolated Lazy Bee Ranch in southeastern Arizona, she was a pioneer all her life. She enrolled at Stanford University at age 16 and graduated from law school at 22. O'Connor was Arizona's first woman to serve as Senate Majority Leader, then became a trial and appeals court judge in the state. Upon her retirement from the Supreme Court in 2006, she continued to advocate for civics education in the US and judicial independence across the globe. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, 1933 to 2020, was appointed as an associate justice of the US Supreme Court by Democratic President Bill Clinton. She took the oath of office on August 10th, 1993 and remained on the bench until she died September 18th of this year. A teacher, mother, wife, and champion for women's rights she was the second of only four women confirmed to the court. Ruth Joan Bader 
was born in Brooklyn in 1933. She graduated first in her class from Cornell University and was the first woman on the Harvard Law Review before transferring to Columbia Law School, where she again made law review and graduated first in her class. Ginsburg litigated sex discrimination cases for the ACLU and was instrumental in creating women's, its Women's Rights Project in 1972. Before her appointment to the Supreme Court, Ginsburg was appointed to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia in 1980 by Democratic President Jimmy Carter. Sonia Sotomayor, 1954 to present, first Latina Supreme Court Justice. A native of the Bronx, Sonia Sotomayor is America's first Latina Supreme Court Justice. She has served as an Associate Justice since 2009. The daughter of immigrants from Puerto Rico, Sotomayor graduated summa cum laude from Princeton in 1976, then attended Yale Law School, where she edited the Law Journal. After graduating in 1979, Sotomayor worked as an assistant district attorney and in private practice in New York. Sotomayor was appointed as a federal judge in the Southern District of New York in 1992 by President George H.W. Bush, a Republican. Five years later, Republican senators delayed Sotomayor's appointment to the U.S. Court of Appeals for a year over fear she might be headed to the Supreme Court. Democratic President Barack Obama nominated Sotomayor to the Supreme Court when Justice David Souter retired. She wrote a memoir, My Beloved World, in 2013. Born in 1960 and 1960, sorry, in New York, Elena Kagan was somewhat of an unconventional choice for the Supreme Court because she is one of a handful of justices who has, have never previously worked as a judge. Being, before being nominated to the court in 2010 by President Barack Obama, Kagan served as an advisor to President Bill Clinton, working br worked briefly as the US Solicitor General under President Obama, the first woman to hold that title, and she was the first ever woman named Dean of Harvard Law School serving from 2003 to 2009. Kagan went to Princeton for her undergraduate degree and earned her law degree from Harvard in 1986. She was editor of the Harvard Law Review, and in 1987, she clerked for Supreme Court Justice Thurgood Marshall, who gave her the nickname Shorty. Marshall, at six foot two, towered over Kagan, who is five foot three. A longtime professor, Kagan taught at the University of Chicago Law School before moving on to Harvard Law. Though she typically votes with the liberal justices, Kagan is considered more centrist and has been referred to as a bridge builder. Over to you, Claire. Thank you, Max. Sisters Become Business Partners, Open Local Spa by Joanna K. Zuvelis. Shortly before the coronavirus pandemic forced businesses to close, Sisters Armin Humphrey of Winchester and Nareen Curiegan of Waltham opened Valentina Day Spa, 93 Concord Ave, Belmont. They recently reopened with protocols in place to keep clients safe as they come in for services, including facials, microneedling, microdermabrasion, dermaplant planting, advanced medical jet peel treatments, and hair restoration. Humphrey and Curiegan grew up in Armenia. 
prior to opening their spa. Curiegan had a career as a dermatologist and Humphrey was an assistant executive director in higher education and has served as principal of Arabuni Armenian School in Belmont for more than 12 years. We thought that with my sister's medical background and expertise and with my business acumen combined, we can be business owners instead of working for someone else, said Humphrey. In 2016, Kira uh, suffered a personal setback. She was diagnosed with breast cancer. She is now in remission. After all the hardships that she went through, she stayed positive, strong, and followed her goals to open her own business, said Humphrey. The spa is named after their mother, Valentina. Humphrey said their goal was to create a clean, pleasant, and friendly atmosphere for their customers. We want them to feel special and pampered, disconnect from the daily stress, and just relax while they are at our spa, said Humphrey. Kiriagin does the treatments and Humphrey is responsible for the day-to-day -day operation of the spa. The cor coronavirus was an unexpected setback two weeks after their grand opening. It has been tough for us since it is a new business with many overhead expenses, but we are happy to be back on track and welcome our clients, said Humphrey. Humphrey said they are seeing an increase in the amount of people suffering from acne and breakouts due to having to wear masks for so long, said Humphrey. We don't just love making our clients look good outside, we make them feel good on the inside too. We learn about their lives. Our clients are just, aren't just customers, they've become our friends, said Humphrey. Now here's Tom. A contemplative Bruce Springsteen delivers Letter to You, a review by Al Alexander. Fans will get to see Bruce Springsteen and his bandmates do what they do best in the Apple TV Plus documentary film, Letter to You, which premieres Friday, October 23rd. Most rock bands are content just to make music. But Bruce Springsteen, the bard of New Jersey, makes statements of intense recognition and empathy for the blue collar folk who fork over as much as half of their weekly pay to watch him and his indelible E Street band perform the songs that mirror their lives of struggle and strife. It is those loyal fans the boss directly addresses through a new album and documentary titled simply Letter to You. And it is indeed a heartfelt missive set to muscle and brawn of tunes bearing his soul and addressing his growing awareness that the best things in life are finite. The songs, ranging from hard, loud rockers to quiet odes to his departed friend and youth, are some of the finest of his storied career. They tell the tale of a man genuinely surprised by the height of his success and the evolution of a sound, a band, and the singular man who has seen his stardom spread across multiple generations and social strata. But as he enters his 70s, Springsteen is well aware he's drawing ever closer to a date with the Reaper. In fact, the impetus for the movie and the album, which debuted October 23rd, is the deaths of six close friends and bandmates from his association with the Castiles and the vaunted E Street Band, most notably the immortal sax fiend Clarence Clemens. 
In the intently moving Last Man Standing, Springsteen is clearly counting his blessings in his tribute to the Castiles, the band he founded in 1965 with four other high school pals. With the death of George Theis in 2018, Springsteen became the band's sole survivor. If that doesn't wake you up to the imminence of death, nothing will. Not surprisingly, this has left Springsteen in an uncharacteristically somber mood. Not morose, but something closer to reflective while speaking over gorgeous black and white images shot by Joe DeSalvo of his vast New Jersey estate in the wake of a freshly fallen November snow. True to the title, the boss gives us the full Ken Burns treatment, complete with dozens of photographs of Bruce and his musical pals in their younger days. It's astonishing how old he and the E Street Band have gotten over the past 45 plus years. Yet the playing only gets better, evidenced by the dozen songs we watch being honed and played by the old gang in Springsteen's private backyard studio. The movie follows a pattern of the boss waxing poetic about his life and his musical influences before segueing into the next song, each played in its entirety accompanied by a pseudo music video like the movie shot in stunning black and white. As is the norm for these in the studio music talks, there is plenty of ribbing and bonding among the E Streeters mixed with some fine Springsteen anecdotes about everything from his first Sears guitar with the built-in amp to childhood memories of chasing trains in his hometown of Freehold, New Jersey. It's pretty pat with director Tom Zimmy little in the way of innovation. But what the doc lacks in technical prowess is overcome by the sheer power of Springsteen's moving reminiscences and his growing acceptance of death as an unavoidable fact of life. Does it work? Well, I for one can attest to the fact that I was teary-eyed throughout and into full-on crying near the end. And what got to me is how Springsteen is in the exact same place as me in reaching that age where the time you have left is far shorter than what you've lived. You can't believe where all the time is gone, and worse, standing by as old friends begin to depart the earth in far too many numbers. As each dies, you cling ever tighter to what you have as you achieve grace and joy in knowing how lucky you have been to have had a vocation like his and mine, allowing you to learn and share with so many similarly inclined friends and collaborators. Maybe this melancholy Springsteen won't resonate as strongly with the younger folks as much as it will with the fans like me, who've been with Bruce since the beginning. But if the kids are smart, they'll heed what this wise old rocker has to say, and as he looks into his rearview mirror and sees a life filled with success, happiness, and sorrow. But more importantly, the friends and family who made it all possible. And now back to Max. Thank you, Thomas. Town administrator re-ups till 2024 with new contract. With enthusiastic backing from the Belmont Select Board, Town Administrator Patrice Garvin will be sticking around Town Hall for a few more years. The Town's Chief Administrator, Administrative Office Officer was offered a new three-year contract commencing January 15, 2021 at the Select Board's Monday, October 19th meeting. 
The agreement came after a month-long review process and negotiations during which the Chelmsford resident received praise for her resourcefulness, work ethic, and organizational skills from the three-member board. Quote, you could not put more effort into this job, and I think she is as conscientious and as smart as they come doing this type of work, said board chair Roy Epstein. Garvin was sworn in as Belmont's first female town administrator in January 16, 2018, after a long search to find a replacement for David Kale, who served for four years. Under the new contract, Garvin's base pay will increase from her current $181,778.69 to $190,500 even on July 1st, 2021. Garvin will receive annual increases of a minimum 2% or the general pay increase for department heads, whichever is greatest. In addition, the board will hold annual performance reviews on May 1st with possible merit increases to the base salary. As part of the performance review, Garvin and the select board will define the goals for the next fiscal year that they determine necessary for the town and the board shall further establish a relative priority among those goals. In her benefits package, Garvin will see her annual vacation leave increase from four to five weeks, and she will have the standard 12 holidays, including a floating holiday with pay to be used at any time during the calendar year. And effective July 1st, 2021, Ms. Garvin will be allowed to sell back to the town each year a maximum of 80 hours of vacation time. The town will make $625 Per, car, per month car allowance available, which will be taxable. Over to you, back to you, Claire. Thank you, Max. Council on Aging. The Belmont Council on Aging is located at 266 Beach Street. What services are we providing? Per order of the town, all public buildings in Belmont are closed to the public, including the Beach Street Center. The center can be reached for essential services over the phone. Key phone numbers include transportation, 617-993-2989. Lunch, Springwell, reached in Watertown, 617-926-4100. Transportation services. We are asking people to confirm their medical appointments before booking a ride. We are still running trips to Market Basket and Star Market. The bus will take people to Star Market during their senior hours, Tuesdays and Thursdays from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. Market Basket trips are limited to five people to maintain social distance practice. The volunteer driver program has been suspended at this time. Again, transportation phone number is 617-993-2989. For more local COVID-19 information, visit the Belmont's website. Our social work team is available to find resources for a variety of services that, over, that you might need. Call 617-993-2983 or 617-993-2975. Regularly scheduled well-being checks over the phone are available. 
the social work team is currently reaching out to our seniors 85 years and older. A team of volunteers are available to help with the day-to-day -day needs, such as grocery shopping. And some of these individuals are those who were drivers from our volunteer driver program. Some are newly vetted and ones who are wanting to help, especially during this crisis. Now to Bob. We hope you enjoyed this week's Talking News. You can listen and watch Talking News on Mondays and Tuesdays at 4.30 p.m. on Channel 9 on Comcast and Channel 29 on Verizon. You can also listen to the Talking News anytime on the BMC Podcast Network on iTunes or at belmontmedia.org forward slash podcast. Tune in next week. I'm Bob Fellerman.